This is a Canicurio podcast powered by Cannabis Media. I'm your host, Ed Keating, and today we are joined by Brett Harris, CEO and founder of Love Buds. Brett, welcome to the show. Hi, Ed. Thank you so much for having me. A happy 420 to you and everybody. And uh, Absolutely. It's, a, it's an honor to sit with you today. Thank you. Yeah, I, I agree. I think we picked a, picked a good day for it. So, uh, so uh, yeah, definitely welcome to the pod. So what we want to do today is you know learn more about Love Buds, and we always like to start with finding more out about you. So how long have you been in the cannabis industry and how did you wind up here? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I mean, my life has been an interesting uh, sort of circle of events and uh, started in investment banking. And then uh, my family has an important distribution company. So I, uh, you know, ran warehouses and then moved to sales management and then product development and procurement and sourcing and logistics. And then I left and I created a e-commerce entity, uh, mostly B2B and, um, you know, varying levels of success in my, in my career. You know, I've had some ups and downs and um, learned a lot along the way. But everything, you know, after that, I had a couple um, experiences. And, you know, by the time I was 40, I had sold three companies and um, uh, so I started consulting. And uh, while I was, I, I moved to LA for a while and I was consulting there and I started, I was an, an analyst for a large consulting firm. And when I would come back to Colorado, I would analyze my friend's cannabis businesses because those were the guys that got into the space. And <laughs> I started realizing, wow, these margins are spectacular. But one of the things that I really specialized in with my analysis was tax strategy. And uh, 280E was a very, very significant issue I recognized right away. So I packed up my stuff in California, moved back to my hometown in Denver and Colorado, and opened a consultancy in Colorado and uh, started battling 280E with my clients. And then I started taking my previous life where I was importing and distributing and thinking, well, you know, we used to import and sell plates and glassware. And it's pretty easy to find factories that make bongs and pipes. So yeah. I started encouraging my customers that there's a way around 280E. If, if you start selling products that are not THC, perhaps you'll be able to sell some of the, you'll be able to make some of those savings that you otherwise would not have. So uh, there was a federal court case that basically agreed with my theory. And uh, it was, a, you know, 10% of your revenue was non-THC, then you could write off 10% of those things. And I thought, well, there's nobody better to, stock them and love buds really started first of all it started in my guest bedroom in a two-bedroom condo in downtown denver nice and um uh it was a consignment company we put fixtures into dispensaries we stocked the dispensaries and we would do inventory and they would pay us 50 percent of what they sold on a weekly basis and one guy said hey 50 percent's not enough and i said okay well then let's create a wholesale relationship and that is how Love Buds got started. We were wow. uh, stocking shelves in dispensaries. And, you know, when dispensaries first opened, they were, you know, three glass cabinets and a couple, uh, you know, millennials. Right. And they were just selling cannabis. They weren't selling lighters and rolling papers and bongs. And they always had to deal with the smoke shop down the street. Well, um, it, it, it's interesting, Brett, and that, it, you know, obviously all that previous history and work experience you had understanding you know the operations the sales but also the tax angle you know really set you up in a good space to pick a, a business that i imagine does not have a lot of 280 issues because you're not plant touching 
and well, and the nice thing about being in the picks and axes business is that we don't really suffer from regulation. Yeah. Um, well, right. That's, that's intentional. <laughs> now, now, if I remember correctly, uh, Lovebuds has been around for about 10 years. Is that right? We Lovebuds uh, started in 2015. Okay. So it's like us. You're about eight years getting uh, maybe to the night. So. Yeah. So I've been in cannabis since 2014 when I started analyzing consulting and then I started Love Buds and I had my consulting business together. Yeah. And then about the end of 2017, I decided I had to do one or the other. So I went with Love Buds. So, so, so in looking back over these eight years, just as we do at Cannabis, how have you seen the industry change and, and, and how has it changed in your part of the industry? Cause you know, we, we've seen a lot of ups and downs and uh, you know, have, have you as well? Or have you been consistent? Yeah. You know, we've been very, very blessed because, you know, I mean, we're one of the reasons that dispensaries went from being just cannabis shops to now becoming head shops as well. Uh, um, you know, the changes obviously, you know, Colorado and Washington and Oregon really were the beginning of the industry. And, um, yep. uh, and it was very fragmented, you know, a lot of mom and pops and single store owners and vertical integration where they own their grow and their MIP or their manufacturing and their dispensary. Uh, and, you know, and back then it wasn't that you had to have great business skills to get licenses. You had to, you know, go through a process to get a license and, uh, the professionalism, you know, the overall level of professionalism, the corporate environment has been developed uh, over the past, probably more so the last two or three years. Mm. Uh, and there's still some great independent operators that do an amazing job. And I feel blessed because that was really our bread and butter, how we began. But, the, you know, the big difference is that, you know, now corporate buyers are starting to appear and, uh, and you know, big money and, um, you know, uh, that's, I think that's been the primary change. I mean, obviously yeah. the massive growth, but. The yeah, well, it's interesting because, you know, we're always interested as, as, as we talk to our clients and others in the industry is, you know, what is that B2B space like and, and how is it changing? And, and with the movement of um, MSOs, you know, still continuing to grow. Yeah. And obviously dealing with a client like that is going to be very different than dealing with a, a, a solo, you know, operator. So, you know, what you see happening in terms of how that market space is evolving, because, you know, we were definitely in different times than we were in like 2018 and 19, when, you know, the industry was still a little bit more of a green rush. And now it's not quite so much. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I Listen, I think, you know, I, we love the independent operator. We love the small regional chain. I mean, that's like I said, that's really how we developed our company. But those companies started getting acquired on a pretty regular basis over the past two years. And there are some very, very dominating MSOs that are extraordinarily well run that have got corporate philosophy uh, that use metrics and KPIs. And, uh, you know, and, and, and the other thing is that merchandising and, uh, you know, just in time right. inventory are starting to become uh, processes that the industry did not have three years ago. So for a guy like you who, has had all this great sort of corporate background and entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, I'm sure you can hold KPIs, you know, and speak to them, 
you know, better than most so that when you're dealing with those companies, does that position you well? Because you get their language, you get their needs, you get, you know, just in time inventory. You're not looking like a deer in the headlights. Like, what do you mean you want it delivered? And I have to cut my own checks from your bank account. Like how does that work as you're dealing with, you know, those bigger clients? Yeah. So, you know, in my previous life, you know, I mean, I dealt with Bed Bath and Beyond and Target and Federated and you know I mean and listen the next thing that's going to happen in this space is EDI will be implemented you know purchasing uh, softwares yeah so I, I I always started Love Buds with the intention that we were going to get to this space because mm -hmm. it's really what I understand better you know I mean I really had to kind of take things down a little bit early on and handhold customers which love to do that also but you know now I was speaking with buyers that came from Kohl's or Williams Sonoma that are now in the space. Yeah. They've got very different ways of going about it. And fortunately that is sort of what I've been waiting for the industry to get to. And yeah. now it's no, that's a great point. I mean, from the data side, we see the same thing. My co-founder and I have been in the data industry for a really long time. And now we're starting to run into people on the client side who also come from traditional industries. And when we can talk their language, they feel comfortable like, oh, okay, these, these folks just didn't come out of, out of nowhere. Now, uh, in, in looking at the industry itself and, and sort of the competitive aspects, I'm curious, what are the differentiators for people in your space? Like, how do you stand apart from other people who are you know trying to sell to the same clients? You know, I think availability. I think we're very, very available. We use a lot of the uh, a lot of uh, the platforms. We're the largest distributor on several procurement platforms. Oh, yep. Um, and also, you know, we we give terms. You know, we were you know early on we were giving terms to dispensaries when nobody was. I thought that was a very, very valuable oh. uh, aspect of our growth. And then, listen, at the end of the day. You can getting, listen, getting a customer the first time is anybody can do that. Yeah. Keeping a customer is what makes you a good company. And, and I'll be honest with you, our staff, the people at Love Buds, um, our sales staff, our customer service staff. I mean, if you read our reviews, they all rave about our customer service. Uh, you know, we ship faster than ever. I mean, I, I gotta tell you, we, we, this 420 season, we, we're so inundated, but we got about 98% of all orders to everybody on time, even though there was a massive increase in uh, orders. Um, you know, if you don't perform, if you're not set up well, if you don't haven't done, you know, your proper uh, inventory maintenance and you're not, if you just, if you're just not a good company, you're not going to succeed in this space. Now the, the, uh, the days of it's cool and get it right next time. Th those are, those are over now. The, uh, yeah. the level of professionalism has increased. And what really sets Love Buds apart is if something breaks in your shipment, you call us and we give you credit and we send you a replacement, you know, like yeah. we, it, we, we, there, there's no sense in us fighting our customers. Our goal as a company is to make our, the buyers look genius and to make their lives easy because the accessories part of a dispensary's business is anywhere from one to 8% of their total revenue. It's usually an afterthought. They're there to sell right. cannabis and cannabis products. Uh, what we do is ancillary. Uh, it's usually not thought of very well. And if we can do anything to help those buyers merchandise our product better, make sure that the pricing is correct, that they're retailing things properly, that's the services that LoveBuds offers. And also, we've been in it so long, we have the data. We know what people buy and what they don't buy and what does well. So we provide well, 
products. And also just the fact that you, you know, as an old boss of mine used to say, you know, your numbers one to 8%, like to being able to say that to somebody who owns a store and, and, you know, sort of remind them that with margins so tight, anything that you can do to move that needle on something where, you know, they can make a decent margin themselves is got to be really helpful. So helping them achieve that is a big deal. It sounds like from a strategy standpoint, uh, if you think back to the old way that, uh, businesses were managed, it's sort of like you guys excel in operational excellence and customer intimacy. You're not necessarily trying to compete on price, but being really good at what you do and keeping your customers happy yeah. is certainly a good formula for success. You know, and but we compete on price too. You know, I, I, I always say that, you know, a company like mine doesn't make money how you sell product, it's how you buy product. And we're super aggressive with our vendors and uh, our, our own import product. And, you know, you have, you have to be price sensitive and you have to make sure that the people doing business with you have got a better selection than the people that are not doing business with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and listen, our, you know, the goal to our business is increasing the dispensary's average transaction, right? If somebody walks into a dispensary with $50, they're going to spend 35, $40 on cannabis. That extra $10, that's for us. And if it's appealing and if it's and it's a good value, we'll get that, we'll get that money out of that customer's pocket. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Definitely that share of wallet. Now, in looking at other uh, things happening in the industry, you know, as I was doing some research, I, I saw that two companies in the space, Greenlean and MJ Packaging, just sort of announced a relationship a few weeks ago that seemed kind of interesting. You know, what are your thoughts on that? What would bring companies like that together? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, you know, Greenlane um, was one of those companies that went public and did very, very well. I'm, I'm familiar with at least one of the two original founders and owners, uh, and we've done a lot of business with Greenlane. Uh, they merged about a year and a half ago with Kushko. Um, so there were two companies, you know, I think admittedly both struggling and the attempt to, re to sort of reboost uh, the company. Uh, and, you know, listen, we're very familiar with Greenland. We're very familiar with MJ Packaging. They're a competitor of ours. Uh, yeah. We've got a friendly relationship with Greenland. We, we are a sub-distributor of theirs. Uh, you know, I'll be, it, it be, listen, it's always very interesting to see how these relationships play out. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we stay, you know, we went against public uh, offerings. You know, I mean, a lot of these companies that have went public have had, uh, limited success, I would say. I wouldn't say that they have all fallen apart, but they haven't. They haven't. Uh, the cannabis stocks have not uh, followed through with the promise that there that there once was. Yeah. Um, and some of it's they raised too much capital at too high valuations, and they spent really, really. They spent a lot of money. Yeah. And no, that's true. They, they didn't have to shoestring it like we do, um, where our growth has been gradual and intentional. They sort of said, "Let's throw all this money out there and let's grow." and uh, probably weren't keeping track of the fundamentals of their business. Along yeah, the way. that's it's a great point. Yeah, going public too early, too small, or sometimes just you're in the wrong spot in the industry to do it. Uh, I, I've been in industries where that's happened too, and it can be it can be painful. Yeah. Um, sort of jumping back to the inventory side of things, you know, one other uh, area that I, I was curious about is you know sort of where there are challenges. So, are are there any product types or categories that you don't sell, like just not worth the hassle? Yeah. So we 100% stay away from ingestible products. So we don't sell CBD. We don't sell Kratom. We don't sell Delta eight or nine or <laughs> whatever number they're on now. 
Uh, a, I like to sleep at night. I don't want to. I don't want to think that anything that I'm selling is going into somebody's body and uh, negatively affecting them if I don't know what it is. So that's number one. Right. Number two is uh, if a dispensary can't buy it from us, typically we don't stock it. There are a couple SKUs that are more smoke shop specific that we do, but we stay away from products that can't be purchased by a standard dispensary, even though now that the, there's different state regulations that certain states can and can't buy certain things. But in right. general, the products we sell can be purchased by dispensaries. Um, so we, that, I, you know, as far as a category we stay away from totally, that would be the one, anything ingestible. Makes it makes a lot of sense. Now, one of the other things uh, that, that I, you know, just saw last night come across the news wires uh, were counterfeit goods. So a California judge awarded $151,000 to a uh, manufacturer because a smoke shop was selling counterfeit goods. So how does that play into this space? Because I imagine that's a, uh, uh, a challenge, you know, to making sure you've got great goods. Sure. Well, listen, it's no secret that uh, a lot of our products come from Asia. Um, uh, and, you know, we, and quite frankly, you know, we seek alternative sources uh, as well, but a lot of products come from Asia. And, um, you know, the, let's just say that uh, morally, they don't have a problem stealing intellectual property and providing it through companies like Lumbuds. Uh And it's up to guys, it's, I'll be honest with you, it's really up to importers like us to restrict that business. Now, not everyone has integrity and character and they don't, maybe they don't understand the, uh, the negative impact that uh, stealing intellectual property has on companies. I do. We, so nothing that we have is counterfeit or stolen IP anymore. There have been times that unknowingly we've had those products. Uh, a, a good example is, you know, Rick and Morty, really that brand of product used to be open source. Like they wanted you to knock it off and get it all over the place. Huh. And then they did a deal with, I think, Warner Brothers or one of the big studios. And all of a sudden we were selling it. We got a cease and desist letter. We were not allowed to sell Rick and Morty stuff anymore. So we stopped, you know, I mean, uh, we're, we're super conscientious of it. We get offered that product regularly. Um, you know, if, if a factory offers us that stuff too often, we just turn that factory off. We just don't want to do business with them. And yeah. it, in theory, if everyone that does what we do does that, it'll slow that down. But it's not just the guys making counterfeit goods. It's guys like me bringing it in. Um, and I think that uh, people in my position have to be ultra conscientious to help that and prevent that. And also, you know, that smoke shop that got fined, it probably, they probably, they may or may not have known that it was uh, counterfeit goods or stolen. They were probably buying it from a distributor, you know, who, yeah. who knows how they got yeah. it. And it can be hard to track those down too. I'm sure. I mean, you yeah. know, for every one that gets you know written up as a lawsuit, there's probably hundreds that that you know nobody knows about. So, now, um, in terms of the market, you know, one of the things that I've tried to uh, understand about you know, love buds in this space is you know what is the market. I know when we uh, talked a few weeks ago, I, I had assumed incorrectly that oh, you probably started with vape and smoke shops and then moved into the cannabis space. And I think you said yeah. it was the other way around. So, you know, as you look at the market, there's hemp, there's vape smoke shops, there's dispensaries yeah. there's adult use retailers like what does the space look like to you and, and and you know where's your focus and where don't you focus yeah so listen we primarily got started in colorado in dispensaries that that was our intention to be the dispensary um, distributor um and we've been blessed to grow within the industry uh, that being said we're also an e-commerce company um we're very competitively priced 
and smoke shops have come to us. I'll tell you, really, one of the most interesting, uh, you know, verticals for us has been CBD dispensaries. Uh, the, you know, there there are some, you know, in Texas, for instance, where cannabis is banned. Those CBD dispensaries are actually rather large, and we and we do a, a nice business with them. They're great customers. Uh, they're still it's very fragmented. A lot of uh, independent operators. Uh, but that business has been good for us. And then, you know, there was there was the Pact Act regulations where a lot of vape shops were unable to get product for a long time, the liquid vaping products and whatnot. Yeah. And listen, if you have a lease and you have a business and you're a vape shop, you've got to become a head shop, right? Or gla a glass shop. So we've uh, seen business there as well. Yeah, yeah. And and I know uh, within cannabis media, you know, we started tracking those CBD retailers when some of the states started to regulate them. Like I think the first one we found was like Louisiana. And then suddenly there were thousands and then Florida. And I think either might have been Montana, Texas, where, you know, you want to sell this stuff. That's OK, says the state. It's often not even a separate license, but, you know, it's a checkbox. It says you're going to be selling CBD. So we saw things like um, standard convenience stores or even yeah. Yeah. grocery stores like public supermarkets in Florida has a slew of CBD retail licenses. And I'll tell you, liquor stores. I mean, when yeah. legalization occurs in a state, liquor sales do dip. And yeah. those liquor stores oftentimes will start, you know, providing a selection of our products. Um, there's, I, I, the, the, I mean, the, the reach for the product category is high and it's up to us to, a stay very very focused in what our main business is, but you know, we are now branching out to these other revenue streams, and uh, they're very very important for our success. Yeah, and what is your go to market like? Uh, you know, obviously it's a broad geography here in the United States. You know, do you have people who are, you know, geographic territories? Is it named accounts? Is it you know MSOs and everybody else? Like, how do you see the world in terms of your 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 market segments, if you will? Yeah. I mean, it's ever shifting, right? Because, you know, three years ago, it was, you know, you hire a salesperson and they have a state, you know, like yeah. uh, now it's changed. Now you've got a territory and, and then you've also now you've got key accounts. I mean, three years ago, MSOs were really not a thing, you know, so now we've got key account managers. Um, you know, we've, we've, we've hired a, our VP of commercial as a you know, veteran of other industries, you know, the, 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 Brains in the building are growing and our leadership team has expanded uh, to where we can now attack uh, those sort of things. But our, but our go to market now is territorial and uh, and there are different account types. And now we do have a smoke shop, um, you know, segment of our sales. And we also have a sub distribution segment of our sales. Oh, excellent. Excellent. So how does a company like Lovebuds use cannabis media? Like how are we able to assist you and, you know, you know, tracking down those clients or, or, or future clients? Yeah. So. I've bumped into cannabis media at trade shows, you know, for several years. And I was like, I didn't really, I, I, I didn't get it, to be honest with you. Uh, then finally, I, I, you know, I spent some time in a booth. I think we we're at a trade show. And I spent some time in a booth and I kind of said, I said, wait a second. You guys can tell us when new licenses get approved. <laughs> you know, like that was the thing that really caught my attention. Uh, you know, obviously it's important for us to know when licenses are changing or pending or approving and people are applying and, uh, our brand name is is very valuable, and you know my goal was to get our brand name in front of those people as soon as possible, and that's really what we use cannabis media for. And we're very very interested in pending and and newly activated licensees and making sure that our sales rep are aware of their territory growth and uh, contacting those people and letting them 
take advantage of the valuable services we provide. Excellent. Well, I'll give you a tip. I know that my uh, data team, which I run, is jumping all over Alabama now because apparently they've dropped some information on applied and I think even the applications and the applicants. So we're trying to like dig through to see what we can get to get it into you know your hands and others so that uh, you know they yeah. can uh, you know become your clients as as, as well. Well, um, I mean, we're we're still trying to keep up with what's going on on the East Coast. I mean, you know, I mean, everyone's where New York and New Jersey and Ohio's growing and Connecticut. I mean, there's. There, I guess the, the point is there are so much, uh, the industry itself is growing at a really rapid pace and we use cannabis media to identify where new licenses are being issued. Awesome. That's great. That's great. Now, um, I, we talked a little bit about this before, but in terms of regulations, does that really come into play for you, you know, in terms of states, like are there certain states where, you know, there, there's, you can't sell your goods there. Like, is there anything where it's prohibited? Like in, uh, I don't know, like Idaho or something where, you know, they're pretty anti everything. Yeah, well, listen, you know, smoke shops and head shops have been in all 50 States long before love buds came around. So that's one thing, but you know, when it comes to like Pennsylvania, Ohio, they've got approved products list, at least products that are allowed to be in dispensaries. And Florida has got some pretty significant guidelines as well. Uh, mm. So it's important for us to understand what you can and can't sell in every state. And if we have to submit product for approval so that the customers in that state can buy it, we're, we're very active that way as well. Um, but, uh, you know, and, you know, I mean, and then also dealing with a new buyer, maybe somebody got hired in Florida and they've never bought in Florida and, and they just want to come in and buy everything. We have to sort of funnel them down to what they're allowed to buy. Uh, so, you know, that's a service that we provide buyers and let them know, make sure that they don't get their hands slapped because it makes us look bad, right? If, yeah. if they're buying from us and they're not buying the right things, then we're not doing our job very well. Yeah, well, that's a great service uh, to offer. Absolutely. Um, sort of looking at the industry broadly as we sort of wind down, you know, when do you think the cannabis industry is going to hit bottom? You know, a, a lot of people are still looking at these challenges. You know, price is still declining. The the unlicensed market still consuming a lot of share of wallet. You know, any thoughts, guesses uh, uh, that, that, that you've got? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if uh, cannabis will ever hit b bottom. You know, I listen. During the pandemic, I think that everyone got a little bit drunk on the fact that they shut down the country, told everyone to stay home, gave free money to every pothead, and then made dispensaries essential, right? So it, it was almost like you could have really created it any better uh, if I tried, like, you know, like I hatched an evil plan twisting my mustache. But, uh, you know, I think what happened is that everyone got drunk on that, uh, that's, that demand, and they ramped up supply dramatically. And then that demand subsided when everyone went back to work, right? Um, so, yeah. uh, so, so supply is high. And listen, every industry, you've been through different industry trends and turns, and I have as well. And listen, the, the really well-run operators will continue to succeed, and the poorly run operators are going to fail. And eventually, legislation will be appropriate. You know, I mean, California is having a tremendous difficult time, and I blame the legislation in California for not shutting down the black market and allowing the industry to flourish and making the regulations too difficult on dispensaries to be successful. Um, so listen, there's, you know, like every end of this, eventually everyone learns their lessons. Uh, and I think that, you know, my hopes are that a, I really hope the safe banking act 
passes here soon. Um, because really, what if, I mean, listen, we're legal in 33 states. You know, I mean, how much more of the country has to be legal in order for, you know, them to say, it, you know, it's here. The, at some point, the, the, you have to look at yourself and say, the toothpaste is out of the tube. Uh, now let's regulate it. And listen, states need money now. I think we're getting ready to head into some difficult times, some stormy waters ahead. And now's a perfect time for the Senate to do what they promised to have done last year, which is to pass the Safe Banking Act and right. one step closer to federal legalization. And, you know, listen, with that, there will come bumps in the road as well. But, you know, I, I do anticipate both of those things will happen when is sort of uh, at the, you know, the whims of uh, our federal government, which is never the most reliable thing in the world. Um, that, but, that is true. That but, is true. You know, we're not going to bet the over under on that one. Yeah, I mean, listen, I listen. I feel very blessed that we've got good leadership as far as lobbying organizations and people that are trying to get those things done. And, um, you know, it's, it's it's the responsibility of people in the industry to, to get to know politicians and explain the difficulties and what the benefits for the municipalities, the, the cities, the states, the federal government in basically taking the handcuffs off and letting the letting the industry do what it's going to do eventually anyways. Um, so yeah. that, that, that's my two cents on. Well, good, good point. Now, 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 taking it, dialing it back from the whole industry to, to Love Buds, any upcoming developments or, or, or things that you know we should expect or hope to hear out of uh, Love Buds in the next you know six to twelve months? Yes, we are super excited about a lot of things. Uh, we are introducing today actually our new custom business called Swag Supply. So oh, nice. it's swag-supply.com, uh, and we're going to be doing. 3D renderings of custom products. It's a, it's been done in other industries, but no one's spent the time or cared enough about the cannabis space to do this properly. So it is a beautiful website. It's going to be extraordinarily well priced. We brought in-house printing, so things like lighters and trays and all that stuff. We'll be able to do that stuff in-house. So that's I think our soft launches today. So hopefully if you, you take a look at it. It will continue Great. to improve over the next several weeks until we get our full catalog up. And that's super exciting. And then, um, you know, we're, we, we're, we will be launching some uh, in-house brands that we're really excited about because it, it allows us to bring price points down uh, and sell, you know, really well, well priced product. And then, you know, we're working with a lot of MSOs on creating uh, merchandising plans and schedules and trying to, you know, trying trying to get this industry up to par with other retail, um, you know, other retailers with how they present product and identifying the right product mix. So we've got, you know, it seems like we're going a thousand miles a minute right now. We've got so many things going on, um, but we're we're really really excited about the next several years. Um, and the launch of Swag Supply is huge, and uh, we'll be issuing announcements on some of our new branded stuff. Uh, for lower price points and higher quality and UPC coding is coming where everything's going to have to be UPC coded and wow. all that, you know, so those are all things that we're working on as a company and we're, uh, we're really eager to get them out in front of our customer base. Well, well excellent. And well, congratulations on, on the launch. I mean, that's exciting. We'll, we'll definitely keep an eye open uh, for that. So uh, Brett, thanks so much for joining me on today's podcast. It's really been a light, a delight speaking with you today on 420. And uh, you know, I just encourage everybody to stay tuned for more updates from the data vault. Thank you so much. And, and listen, before I go, I have to mention a couple of things. Yep. A, uh, 
your family, my wife and my son are like, they're like the most important thing. And I think that everyone needs to get back to that. Mm. And the employees and staff of Love Buds, just call us and see how amazing the people that work there are and uh, the passion that everybody has for making all of our customers successful. I'm super proud of that. And that means the world to me. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that. That, 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 that is terrific and a really nice note to end on. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Have a great 420, everybody.